You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you all. I trust you're all well. We are uh, back in our series in the book of 1 Samuel. We're calling it After God's Heart. We've been in this series since September, and we are going to be in this series until just before Easter, with the exception of a couple of special Sundays. We're going to be digging into the book of 1 Samuel together. We have seen so far a failure of leadership uh, in Israel. The, uh, first the priests and then the king that the people of Israel had asked God for. We'd seen failure to really pursue God's heart. And uh, we were left as we were just before Christmas in this series. We saw that uh, Samuel, who was the prophet of the nation, he had to tell Saul, the king, who'd been king for some 40 years, that your time is up. You will not be king uh, for much longer. And this is where we join the story, and we're going to meet in just a moment uh, King David, who um, is undoubtedly the main character of this book. We're not meeting him until halfway through the book, but he's the main character of this book, and uh, he's really the main, one of the main characters of the Old Testament. He's like Champions League, kind of, uh, of the Old Testament. He and Moses and Abraham, these guys uh, were, were some of the main uh, players in the Old Testament, and uh, so we're meeting King David today. Let's pick up the story in uh, chapter 16, and we're going to read the first uh, 13 verses. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would teach us this morning as we unpack it together. Amen. Amen. 
We can learn a lot from David, and we will learn a lot from David over the coming weeks. We will see in the the character of David that he points us to Jesus. As we've seen so far in this story, we've seen glimpses of Jesus. We've seen promises of Jesus. We've seen uh, characteristics in, uh, in the other people that we've profiled in this series that point us to Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus through uh, the character of David in the coming weeks. But this morning, we really see that, uh, that God is not interested in the outward appearance. We see that God's laser-like focus is on the activity of the heart. That is the, the things that are going on under the surface in our lives. And perhaps this time, this week, more than any other time of the year, we are quite concerned with the outer appearance because we've just had the excesses of Christmas and um, many of us, including myself, may have polished off several chocolate oranges over the last couple of weeks and we're now thinking, okay, I need to get myself into shape um, because I've put on some weight. Or we might think, okay, now it's time to get my house sorted out. I need to get my house cleaned up. We've got all this uh, extra stuff from Christmas. Now we've got to shift out some stuff and make the place a little tidier. Or you might be thinking, right, now is the time where I'm going to get organized. I'm going to have a diary. I'm going to turn up on time to things. And uh, some of us have even failed to do that this morning. Um, We want to get ourselves sorted out at this time. We want our outward appearance to be Uh, be more presentable uh, to the outside world. But we see here that God is really interested in what is going on under the surface. Now there's kind of, there's two approaches to life really. The first is this, that we find life through things that we can touch, taste, see, hear and own. That's the first approach. And the second approach is this, that we find life really in the things that are unseen, the things that are are of of old and are are ancient and that things that really um, satisfy us are the things that we cannot own and touch and taste and see. The first approach, it leads to an obsession with appearance. It leads to an obsession with possessions and it leads to an obsession with pleasure and experience. We are a nation that I believe is obsessed with appearance uh, we flicked on the telly last night and Take Me Out was on, which is a, which is a show really about, uh, it's about appearance and a, and a guy gets to choose between 20 or 30 ladies and at the end gets to choose who he finds most attractive at the end of it all. We are a nation that is obsessed with uh, appearance. We, um, the cosmetics industry in this nation is worth something like 10 billion pounds. Um, the majority of the market uh, consumed by women aged 18 to 34. The fastest growing market is uh, women aged 50 plus. But men, we are not exempt from this. Uh, 14% of men used fake tan in 2017. Okay, but then when it comes to uh, 16 to 24-year-olds, if you're in that bracket here, it rises to 30%. 30% of 16 to 24-year-old men using fake tan in 2017. There's been a huge growth in gym membership. It's estimated that 15% of the population of this nation have a gym membership. I would want to see how many actually use that gym membership. But we have a gym membership because we want to feel like we're making an effort with our appearance. Uh, Gyms have been constructed all over the place. One's just been built outside my house. And so I've pretty much 
got no choice but to go along to it now. Uh, I'd never stepped foot in a gym until very recently, uh, so now I'm part of a gym. Um, there's been a resurgence in bodybuilding, something that was big in the 50s and 60s. Now it's come back in a big way. It's estimated that one in 10 men who have a gym membership have uh, something called muscle dysmorphia, or bigorexia, it's sometimes uh, referred to, where uh, men have a, a warped view of their body. They believe they're weak and, and, and small when actually they're muscular, and, uh, and really um, pumping their bodies full of anabolic steroids to try and look bigger. I personally know several uh, friends of mine who have gone down this route and really making themselves very ill, but trying to look more and more muscular, trying to have the perfect body, never satisfied with how they look. This is something that is becoming a big issue in our culture. We have magazines that are open about uh, airbrushing. They have models and actresses on the front of their uh, magazines that have obviously been airbrushed, and they're now open about it, but we have this uh, view that we want perfection uh, in, uh, in, in, in how we look. When we believe that life is to be found in the things that we can see and touch and taste and own, then it will lead us to misery, because in this instance, with our appearance, we are all wasting away. I don't want to break the bad news to you this morning, but we are all wasting away. I read this week that after the age of 24, you are officially dying. Okay, you are officially dying. Your body is starting to, uh, it's starting to deteriorate. It's starting to go downhill. And so if we're obsessed with our appearance, we're fighting a losing battle because more and more we are uh, becoming old. After the age of 24, I'm sad to say it to us. It will lead us to misery if we are obsessed with our appearance. Not only does the first approach lead us to obsession with appearance, but it leads us to obsession with possessions. We are a debt-ridden nation. We have some 66 billion pounds worth of credit card debt in our country. I don't even know how that works because there's only about 60 million people in this country, but we have somehow 66 billion pounds worth of credit card debt. In uh, the, the 18 to 25's bracket, 48% have debt other than student loans or mortgages. That means that people have, uh, on average, £3,000 worth of debt that is not, in that age bracket, that is not student loans or mortgages. That generation has sometimes been referred to as generation debt. It is quite serious. If we feel that life is to be found in things that we can own, then we will simply pile high our possessions and work ourselves into the ground to earn more stuff and to own more stuff and to work late and retire late because we've uh, become addicted to owning more and more stuff and it doesn't satisfy. Finally, if we take the first approach to life, that true life is to be found in things that we can own or touch or taste or see, then we will become obsessed with pleasure. We'll become obsessed with pleasure. We'll pursue pleasure in overeating, over drinking, use of drugs, Addiction to entertainment, addiction to traveling to get more uh, new exhilarating experiences. Uh, I read this week, we spend on average in this nation almost 300 minutes a day on TV or internet for leisure use. That's five hours a day on these things. And it leads to misery. It leads to misery. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. I think we can all agree it doesn't bring us true life. So the first approach says... What can be seen is what brings true life. But the second approach says it's about what is unseen that really satisfies. It's an approach that the Apostle Paul took. He writes in Colossians 3 in verse 2, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And this is what this passage is telling us 
this morning. As we look ahead to this year, God is far more interested in what's going on in your heart and whether it's uh, after him than whether or not you have uh, a hipster beard or a slim waistline. He's more interested in your uh, desire for him than what car is on your driveway. He's more interested in that you find joy and intimacy in him rather than in uh, endless uh, hours of watching TV series or uh, in finding that right relationship that will change your life. Now, he wants this year for us to pursue him. All these things I've mentioned, they're not all bad, but our priority is the Lord. Our priority should be the Lord, not getting our house to look like a showroom, not uh, trying to uh, look like a bodybuilder. The priority is to have a heart that is after him. This passage teaches us that God's opinion counts, not man's opinion, not Jesse's opinion, not Samuel's opinion, not Saul's opinion, but God's opinion is the opinion that matters. We are living before an audience of one. So let, let me call us really in the short time we have together this morning, to examine our hearts, to examine our hearts, what's going on underneath the surface. God has said in this passage, it's not about the looks, it's about the heart. Something of of David's devotion to God attracted God to him. In Acts chapter 13, um, the Apostle Paul He's preaching to the crowds. Uh, They're a Jewish crowd, and he's preaching to them about their history. And he's trying to teach them something about Jesus through their history. And he summarizes uh, the story about David in this way. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when God had removed Saul as king, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. And this morning, as we start a new year, I want to just ask us, what, what is it that God will find in us? What is it that God will find in us? Will he find in us someone who maybe had the intentions of doing good and maybe busy themselves doing good, but really didn't know God? That really wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't with a heart that really longed after God? What is going on in your heart this morning and this year? Is it pursuing other things? Is it taking that first approach to life? that I will be satisfied this year if I have more stuff, that I will be really satisfied this year if I have more experiences of the world? Or is it saying, no, I I believe that true life is to be found in God? If you were to have a one-liner about your life, just as, as the Apostle Paul gave about David there, what would it be? What would he said about you? Would it be said that you had a heart that was after God? We've got a big mission before us. We will, in the next couple of weeks, be unpacking that a little bit more as we look at the story of David and Goliath. But before we even begin to speak about that uh, mission before us, we, uh, well, before we even look at the many that we want to, to win uh, for the gospel, we have to be won over by the gospel first. We have to be those that are uh, so wowed by the gospel. We have to as it were, fix on our own oxygen masks first. When you get into a plane, uh, one of the first things you're told is, if there's, a, if there's an emergency, make sure you secure your own oxygen first before you try and help others around you. The point being this, if you, if you don't do that, then you're going to be useless to the people around you because you're not going to be able to breathe. And friends, as we start a new year, let me urge you to, to fix on your own oxygen first. 
before you seek to do anything for the kingdom of God this year, before you uh, seek to glorify Jesus in your workplaces and in your uh, places of influence, make sure your oxygen is secured first. Make sure you're drawing deeply of this good news and allowing it to change your heart before we look to change the world. This is what God wants for us this year. George Muller, who uh, ran orphanages in England in the 1800s, he said that the first and most important duty of his day was to get his heart happy in God. Not others' hearts happy in God, but his heart happy in God. And he, he would get before God each day in, in prayer and in, in the Bible and just seek to see that the gospel was really satisfying his heart and his mind before he would go and serve others. <clears throat> if the great purpose of our lives is to lead people into a relationship with God that is all satisfying, then we have to make sure we have a relationship with God that is all satisfying. We, we, we can't lead people where we're not going. We can't take people with us where we're not experiencing ourselves. So you might have uh, diagnosed several problems as you've uh, looked ahead to this year. You might have thought, okay, this is the issue I need to sort out in my life this year. This is the big one. This is the thing I'm going to tackle well, you might have all kinds of strategies to tackle that big issue, but they will fail if you are failing to address your heart, if you're failing to see what your heart is going after. The reality is that all of us are about as useless as Dr. Google when it comes to uh, diagnosing the problems of our lives. Now, if you're not familiar with Dr. Google, uh, then uh, if you ever have children, then you will be, because uh, what tends to happen is you, you see these symptoms, and uh, this has happened a number of times, not only in my own life, but in my children's life, I've seen symptoms, and I've pumped them into Google, and, uh, and it's, it's the worst thing you can possibly do. I remember very well when one of, one of my daughters was only about six months old, certain symptoms, pumped them into Google, your daughter has meningitis, get her to hospital immediately. And uh, I, I said to my wife, Sarah, I said, I think we just need to wait this one out a little while longer and see what happens. And it turned out she was fine the next morning, absolutely jumping around the place. Now, we... we we try and sort of pump in the symptoms and we think that's going to bring us the diagnosis. But the reality is when we really are sick, we need to go uh, to see a medical professional who will ask a number of other questions. Not just um, uh, what, what are the symptoms, but are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating well? Are you getting any exercise? There'll be a number of questions that come back to us rather than just, you know, what are the symptoms here? So you might be thinking, this year I need to sort out my marriage because I'm perpetually arguing with my spouse and I think we need to go to counselling. Listen, the heart is the key thing here. Counselling may help, but if you fail to address the heart and what it's really running after, then those counselling methods will fail. The, the, the key thing is, is your heart after God? You might be thinking, right, this year I'm dealing with my porn addiction. I'm going to get rid of porn from my life. And therefore, I'm going to get accountability software on my computer and it's going to stop me looking at it. If you, that may be well and good, but if you fail to see what your heart is yearning after in these things, it will not change a thing. It might be, you think, I need to stop overspending. I keep buying stuff because you know, I, I, I keep getting into debt because I keep buying stuff. Well, and you might think, well, the solution is to let someone else control my money or to let someone else see what I'm spending, keep accountable in that way. If you're not addressing the heart here and what it's really yearning after, then those things are not going to be effective in the long term. 
It could be several things. I might be gossiping too much, and you might think, well, I'm just going to stop talking. I'm going to give up talking in 2018 because I'm gossiping too much. Well, no, unless you're dealing with the heart and seeing what is it that my heart is yearning after here and how the gospel is going to impact my heart and change me, then any method you put in place to try and address that behavior, to address that symptom, it will fail because the problem really is where our heart is at, what it's yearning after. It might be that you're arguing regularly with a friend or a spouse and you think, ah, what is the problem here? Well, it could be that you're trying to justify yourself. That you're unable to ever say when you're wrong or when you know, you're unable to compromise because that might look like you're admitting that you've, you've, you've got something wrong here. Well, actually, the gospel says you have been justified before the one whose opinion really matters. The gospel says you don't need to try and prove yourself. The gospel says, you were so broken, it meant Jesus dying on the cross for you. It meant Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross for you. So you don't need to try and pretend you've got it all together. You can admit to your weaknesses. You can admit to your failures and say, look, I've got it wrong here. But praise God, I'm justified before him. This is how the gospel impacts every situation of our lives. Again, gossip is it's a self-justification thing. When you try and drag others down to try and bring yourself up in their opinion... It's a self-justification thing. I want them to like me. I want them to think well of me. I want them to respect me. So I'm just going to pull some other people down to try, try and knock myself up the pecking order a little bit. Again, no, God has accepted you, the one whose opinion really matters. If we're delighting in this, if we're reveling in this acceptance that God has given us, we won't be trying to chip away at other people in order to try and make other people respect us. Pornography, again, look to the heart here. What is it all about? It's about fantasy where we might imagine ourselves as powerful or respected. Again, the gospel comes to that and says, God loves you. You don't need the love or adoration of others in fantasy to try and you know, make yourself feel good. No, God is he's the comforter. He's the comforter. Do you understand how, how the gospel impacts our hearts? It's just sitting home here that we, it, the answer is God. The answer to all of this is God himself. He is the good news, that we get him, that we get him in our lives, that we get to have access to him, that we have his pleasure on our lives. So all of these things that we might think, this is the thing I need to deal with this year, the answer is God. The answer is coming to know him more and more. Relationship with him is what will solve things as we, as we grow to know him more and more. Many, many other things we could we could, uh, we could look at here. But the heart is the root. All else is the fruit. This year, if it's your goal to better yourself in some area, you will fail if you simply address the fruit but neglect the root. You need to take time to examine your heart this year. Listen, I'm an activist, okay? I get twitchy after half an hour of time by myself. I think, I need to do that. I need to get on with that. I need to see that person. I get twitchy, okay? I need to push through that activist tendency and say, God, no, I'm going to allow you to, uh, to, to work on my heart. I'm going to allow you to speak into some issues in my heart that you see. I'm going to allow you to put your finger on them and, uh, and expose some things with your love that I need to change in, okay? So, so, I'm, so that's my tendency. I need to push through that and say, God, search me, know me. Where is it that you need me to change? Some of us, we are much more reflective by, by nature. That's good. And there's other things we need to push through and say, okay, I need to push through now into putting that into practice or I need to push through into helping others in this. But we need to spend the time to say, God, 
what's going on in my heart? What are the things un- under the surface in my life that need to change? Are you, are you constantly frustrated? Are you constantly angry and cursing and just wishing life was different? What's going on in the heart? What's going on in the heart? Take the time to say, God, what is it that you want to change in my life? It's always a bigger picture than just the symptoms that present. It's always a bigger picture, and it's where we're placing our hope. It's where we're finding life. Are we able to say with David in Psalm 16, he says, says this, King David, later in his life, says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. David saw God as all he needed. Yes, he made mistakes. We're going to see that he made mistakes. He made some horrendous mistakes in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel. And yet, came to God. Came to God for forgiveness. God, you're my all in all. He reminded himself that God satisfied. In his presence, there was fullness of joy. So what's going on in your heart this year? Is there unforgiveness? Is there... uh, impure habits forming in your life in the secret place? Are you relentlessly pursuing stuff to try and satisfy you? There might be 101 uh, different medicines that you might prescribe yourself, but if you're not dealing with the heart, it will not change you. It will not change you. We come to a good, gracious God. We've sung about this this morning, that his love is, is so overwhelming and abounding for us. This is who we've come before. Uh, Friends, this is who, who wants to change us. This is he who, who has the very best for us in his heart. This year, we don't need uh, more gifting, better looks, more money. No, we need to be deep people. Deep people who allow God to work in the depths of our heart. Richard Foster, who wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, he says, The life that is pleasing to God is not a series of religious duties. We have only one thing to do. Namely, to experience a life of relationship and intimacy with God. That's our one duty this year, friends. All else flows from that. All else flows from that. That's the one thing we have for this year. Now, you might be here this morning and thinking, okay, it was part of my New Year's resolution to try church, and I'm trying it out. Let me tell you, church will not fix you. Church will not fix you. We love gathering together here, but we're gathering to Jesus We're gathering to Jesus Christ. We're gathering to his presence amongst us. We're gathering to his word. We're gathering to his love. And it's he that will change your life. It's he that will change your life. Coming to a service once a week won't change you. If you're you're not allowing Jesus into your heart. If you're not allowing Jesus to work on your heart. It's Jesus who we come to. And this story, the story of David, points us to Jesus. David is like Jesus. He was the unexpected king. David was the youngest of the brothers. He wasn't even named by Jesse. His dad just says, oh, the youngest one, he's out in the fields. Jesus came in an unexpected way. He was in a backwater place called Nazareth. He got mocked for it. There was nothing special about his appearance. David was actually quite handsome, wasn't he? It says here. But God's saying, that's irrelevant. It's about the heart. There was nothing special about Jesus' appearance. In Isaiah 53, we read, he had no form 
or majesty that we should look to him and no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing special about the way he looked. In fact, many people dismissed him because he didn't look very impressive at all. And many were like Jesse and his sons with their attitude towards David. They sneered at Jesus and said, nothing good can come from Nazareth. And like David, but in a far greater way, Jesus defeated an enemy that had held the people captive. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks, Goliath taken down by David. And Jesus defeated a far greater enemy than this intimidating giant. He defeated death itself. How did he defeat it? As we read later on in Isaiah 53, he he defeated death by dying himself. Let's read Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 11. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Is that true of your life? You know you've gone astray. You know you've not honoured God in every area of your life. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've gone that first path of trying to find life in other things. We've gone that path of trying to find life in things we can own and touch and taste. Every one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he has He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is so key, folks. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Shall we stand together? I'd just love to pray. And we're going to take our bread and the juice in just a moment to remember what Jesus has done for us. We're going to remember... This king, who was the far greater David, he was the the one who, unexpected, people didn't see him coming. People sneered at him. There was nothing special about his appearance. People rejected his appearance. People rejected his credentials. And yet, as we've read here together, Jesus was on a mission to rescue us from our sin. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Friends, this morning we are accounted righteous because Jesus bore our iniquities. 
An exchange took place on the cross where we handed over our iniquity, our sin, our wrongdoing, and he gave us his righteousness. This changes us. This changes us. And we're going to celebrate and revel in this together this morning. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that even though we've gone our own way, even though we've tried to find life in things of this earth, Lord, you've saved us. You've won us. You've provided for us a sacrifice. You've taken our iniquity away. And we can stand before you righteous. We can stand before you cleaned up, set free. Lord Jesus, we take the the bread and the, the juice this morning to remind ourselves again of what it costs for us to be free. We rejoice in this, Lord. We don't, uh, we don't take it lightly, but at the same time, we know you rose from the dead. We know that you didn't remain in the grave, Lord. We, we celebrate and we worship a risen Savior, a risen King. Lord, be glorified in our lives this year. Help us to be deep people. Help us to see where you want to do work on our hearts this year. We don't want to just be addressing the symptoms, Lord, and never really seeing what's at the root. Lord God, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.